All right. Thanks, Jenny. Good to be here with you all. And if I haven't met you yet, good to, good to be with you. Hope to meet you today. Um, I've been, it's been a, been a cool couple, last couple of weeks. For those of you who don't know, my wife Reagan has been battling cancer this, since we found out early this year. And she had her second trip back um, recently. Uh, she was here the last two Sundays, but we're actually flying out right after the service today. So I got a jet out of here. So if I leave, it's not because some other reason. I just got to catch a plane. But I um, appreciate all your prayers. It's been good to see some good progress. And this last week was kind of a mixed bag. We, we got uh, a scan that showed some really good things with the cancer receding. But she started having trouble breathing. Um, and we don't know what's from cancer and what's from the radiation. But we're going back to Phoenix today. And just continue to pray and trust God to bring her through this. But she's on oxygen now, which is a new experience. So we're traveling with this oxygen machine. And it's kind of crazy. Not what we expected for our year. But God has been so present in the middle of this. And even in the midst, like this week, I was facing more just stress and just anxious feelings than I've felt in a long time. But once again, as he always does, God has been faithful to come through. And this, as we're coming to the end of Acts, this is... I love how it's, it's like this. There's been this, this book full of drama, opposition, adventure. It's the story of the early church after Jesus went back to heaven, how the church took the mission of Jesus to go and make disciples of all the nations. And this little band of people, but the Holy Spirit came upon them and they got this revelation of who Jesus was, that he was the king of the world, and he was bringing his kingdom to change the whole world. And one by one by one, person get, people catch this message, and they're changed, and then they take it to their neighbors, and it's spreading around the world. And we, um, so we're at the last chapter here. I, we all love good stories. I, I know, I don't even have to ask. Like everybody, just humans love stories. I'm, I'm a dad. One of, probably my, one of my favorite, consistently favorite part of the day is reading a bedtime story to my kids. And I've been doing this ever since my first child was born. My youngest child is almost too old for a bedtime story, but she still loves it, so I'm going to do it as long as she's okay, all right? We're, we're just going to run with this. Um, there's a certain kind of story, a certain kind of ending to stories. If you think of, like, Lord of the Rings, those of you familiar with, with that story, it's, it's like that, where there's three, four books of intense, crazy, dramatic adventures and danger, and intensity, and they're, they're, they're not sure they're going to make it. You know, there's evil is real, and their life is at risk, and the world is, at, is in danger. But finally, there's this, this climax, and the good team wins. Yay. Right? Good, good wins. And then, in Lord of the Rings, they go back to the Shire, which is this protected, green, sweet home. And there's this kind of afterglow sort of feeling, like, ha, ah, that adventure, like, that was really great, but I'm glad I'm home now. And there's just kind of this, like, wrap-up, and we're back in a place of peace and, relate, you know, like, peaceful relationships without having to wonder if you're going to die every minute. And when I get to, when I, Acts 28, I feel like it's like that. There's this sense of, of, of okay, it's, it's, been, it's been a lot of adventure, but it's all going to be okay. And there's a place of peace. And what's interesting to me is that I can't even tell you why, like what parts of the story make me feel like it's like that. Because the, the facts of the story haven't changed all that much 
actually, Paul is still a prisoner. He's, they're still like a persecuted minority. There's, there's, there's some good things happening, but still it's like, well, there's, it's a crazy broken world that we're in the middle of. But there's this sense of, okay, it's finished. Like, there's a sense of, we're going we're gonna to be all right, and this is a good adventure that we're in. And so I'm going to actually read the whole chapter today. We've been, sometimes I skip around, but we're going to just read through it like a bedtime story. But really, I, I'm hoping that we all get that sense of, like, man, it is done. Like, what Jesus has done on the cross and with his resurrection has brought his victory into the world. The church is winning in history because of Jesus. And wherever we find ourselves in that drama, it's from that place. And so there's also connected to that, there's this underlying theme of hospitality in this chapter. And we see it in, in different places, different people. But our title for today is Expanding the Kingdom with Hospitality. And I just want us to kind of let that be one of the themes we're looking for. I think God's going to speak different things to each of us um, based on where we're at and what he has for us. But this is a theme that's, I think, just so, so great because when you look at what God's kingdom is all about, it kind of boils down to hospitality. It kind of, it boils down to taking a world of chaos and evil and God taking if you look back all, all the way to Genesis 1, from, from chaos and disorder, God brings Eden. He brings a garden. He brings a home. And then he gives people the mission of expanding that home into all the world, of pushing back chaos and disorder and bringing his shalom, his peace, his presence. And we see like different people who encounter God when we extend that. They create homes and environments and orbits of hospitality, that as we experience it, then other people can experience it too. So we're going we're gonna to see that here in this, in this chapter. That sound good? Sound like a good kind of life? Yeah, I, I think so. All right, so chapter one. Um, last year, uh, last year, last week, kind of feels like last year to me, we, uh, we read the story, we talked about the story of Paul. They were, they've been on this journey. He's been a prisoner. He's going to Rome because he's appealed to Caesar. Because he wants to, he wants to give a witness of Jesus to the most powerful person and empire in the world, and so they're going to to Rome. They're on a ship, and it gets shipwrecked. And um, last week we talked about the theme was lead where you are. Paul was a prisoner; he's on a shipwreck, but where he was, he was leading, and that's what God calls us to. And so we pick up in the story where they've gotten safely to shore on this little island called Malta. And Malta is, they're almost to Rome. They're basically the old, like, the map, the boot of Italy. They're the bottom of the boot, and then there's, there's some islands underneath it. Malta is a little island just underneath Malta, just underneath uh, Italy. So, verse 1. Once safely on shore, we found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed us unusual kindness. They built a fire and welcomed us all because it was raining and cold. So here, like these islanders, they're not even believers in Jesus, but they're extending hospitality. They're showing kindness to Paul and Luke, who's, who's with him, and some others, and the, the prisoners, that are, and the people traveling from the boat. And even though they're not Christians, there's something in them as people made in God's image that, that he's put something in them of just extending kindness to strangers. And it's, it's going to make a difference in their life, because 
hospitality makes a difference. Hospitality really, really changes the world. Um, so they welcomed us. Um, verse 3. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood, and as he put it on the fire, a viper, as a poisonous snake, driven out by the heat, fastened itself on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, well, I just will stop there. The viper fastened itself on his hand. And I'm just kind of like, this sounds like my life. <laughs> like, this sounds like life. That here they've like just gone through a shipwreck. They've gone through so much drama and danger and difficulty. And then, oh, they get safely to shore. And they're welcomed. And there's this, this environment of hospitality and campfire. And, okay, it's all going to be okay now. And Paul's like, okay, let me help out. I'm leading where I'm at. I'm going to gather some brushwood and help make the fire. And he grabs some wood. And, he, and as he grabs the wood, a snake, a poisonous snake, grabs onto his arm and bites him. And you're like, why did that have to happen? Like, everything was starting to go good here. Aren't we done with this? But, well, here's, an, here's the next thing. Here's the next thing. Um, so when the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer. For though he escaped from the sea, the goddess Justice has not allowed him to live. And so they have a take, they have a read on what's going on. And to me this is interesting because it speaks to the, just how people are wired. We are so wired with the sense of justice, that the world needs justice. And you know, that there, there needs to be justice, that where there are wrongs, they need to be paid for. Where people wrong others, that needs to be dealt with. And so the islanders, they've got a whole worldview, they've got a whole belief system. And, but behind it, you know, there's this, this desire for justice. And so that desire for justice is a good thing that God's put in every one of us. But their understanding of what justice is, is not so accurate. You know, they, there's actually a goddess in the Roman pantheon named Justice, who's the daughter of Zeus. And she's this you know, stern character who strikes vengeance on people who get out of line. And so they are like, okay, the goddess Justice, she's doing her thing, and Paul's a bad guy. And I think this is interesting because in our world, there's, our world is crying out for justice. There's, you know, people are, see the brokenness of the world, we see a need for justice, but oftentimes the way that we, what we call justice is actually not justice. What we think of is it's, it's skewed. And so, you know, and in our world, even just like what's called social justice, oftentimes is not justice. And I just want to throw that out there, that we need to make sure that our, our understanding of what is just is based on what God says, and not just what our feelings or our culture say. There's actually a book over here called Why Social Justice is Not Biblical Justice. And it's a great, I'd encourage you to read it. It's a great read, um, written by Scott Allen, but it breaks down like some of the issues that we're facing, and what is just and what's not. Um, so, all right. Verse 5, love this, but Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. Wow, that's pretty cool. Right, that doesn't just happen. You get bit by a poisonous snake, you shake it off, you're okay. It actually, it, it brings us back to the words of Jesus. When right before he, after he was resurrected, before he went back to the Father in heaven, he spoke to his disciples in Mark 16 and he said, he said to them, go into all the world, preach the gospel to all creation. Whoever believes and is baptized will be saved, but whoever does not believe will be condemned. And these signs will accompany those who believe. 
In my name, they will drive out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up snakes with their hands. And when they drink deadly poison, it will not hurt them at all. They will place their hands on sick people, and they will get well. And this, this verse has been misinterpreted by some to say, okay, we should grab poisonous snakes to carry this out. Now, you don't have to go seeking them out. But the point is like, hey, if you get bit by one, there's a protection that God brings to his people. From not just snakes, but all the power of the enemy that, that tries to get us. And so Paul, he knew these words, and he's like, okay, I guess that's what Jesus was talking about. And he's just like, okay, I'm going to shake it off. I'm going to trust God that this, I'm going to be okay. And amazingly enough, he was. And you're like, okay, why, what's the point for us? Well, there, I think this is really relevant because there are a lot of times the enemy grabs onto us. It may not be a literal snake, but it's other stuff. It may be a hurt. It may be an offense. It may be a bitterness that grabs onto our heart. And oftentimes those things, they're just as poisonous as a poisonous snake. A, a hurt, when we get hurt by something, that opens the door or bitterness and anger, resentment towards God, towards others, and that is a poison that will destroy our life. But God just wants us to just like, just do what Paul did. Just shake it off. Like, okay, I got that. I'm going to let it go. I'm going to shake it off. I'm not going to let that, let its fangs get in me. I'm going to shake it off and move on. So a lot of things that like, that come to us, it's just, God wants to give us, he gives us the power to just like, shake it off and move on. So, I wonder if there's anything in your life. You're like, man, I, just, I need to shake that off. I kind of let that get a hold of me. But I need to shake it off and trust God in that area. The people expected him, verse 6, to swell up or suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and said he was a god. We've seen this theme through Acts. That the people, people are so fickle. They go from one time thinking you're a murderer who justice is going to kill, the next minute, thinking you should be worshipped. And so, you, just, you can't trust too much on, on what people's perceptions of things are. There was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed us to his home and showed us genuine hospitality for three days. There it is again. You know, not even a believer, but he's showing hospitality to them. And it is expanding the kingdom. It's, it's making a difference. His father was sick in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went in to see him, and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. Wow, Paul's carrying out the rest of that scripture from Mark. That you will lay your hands on the sick, and they will recover. And so he does that with Publius, the official's father, and he is healed. When this happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and were cured. Man, what a, what a crazy, great scene this is, right? Like, they see this healing, they realize, man, they're bringing something that's divine, and they bring the rest of their sick, and healing after healing after healing after healing after healing happens. And so, in one sense, these people who had extended hospitality to Paul and Luke and the prisoners, now they're experiencing the hospitality of God. They're experiencing the goodness of God. They're experiencing, in their place of need, their places of brokenness, their places of lack, healing is coming to them. And they're encountering God and seeing God cares for us. God loves us. God has answers to our problems. God is coming through. He is, they're tasting and coming to know that God is good and experiencing his goodness. And that is always, the, the gospel is good news. 
The gospel is good news. It comes to us and it brings answers. It brings hope. It brings life. It brings restoration. And so they're, they're experiencing that here. They honored us in, in many ways. When we were ready to sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. So this hospitality is kind of going back and forth. Now they're returning the favor again and they're supplying Paul and his friends with the supplies that they need, which really matters. You know, I mean, it really matters if you're going on a ship with just gruel or if you've got some good food and, you know, good stuff to eat while you're, while you're traveling. You have all your supplies. Um, yeah, let's keep going here. Back on the ship. Or not quite back on the ship. After three months, we put out to, ship, to sea in a ship that had wintered in the island. It was an Alexandrian ship with the figurehead of the twin gods Castor and Pollux. We put in to harbor at Syracuse and stayed there three days. They're kind of coming up the west side of Italy now, the west side of the boot. So these are different islands and ports along the way. From there, we set sail and arrived at Regium. The next day, a south wind came up, and on the following day, we reached Puteoli. There we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them. And so we came to Rome. And so they're making this trip, stopping along the way. They've gotten to this, this, this port, and um, they're still about, they're still a ways away from Rome, but they've met some believers. And it's just kind of full circle here. Because the question is, where did the, how did those believers become believers? Like how, did they, how, did they, how did they come to know about Jesus and become his disciples? Paul hasn't gotten there yet. He's just getting there now. But this comes full circle back to the beginning of, of the book of Acts, in Acts 2, when there were visitors from all over the Roman Empire, including visitors from this part of the Italian Italy and Rome and that area. And there were people there who heard the message of Jesus and came to believe, became disciples, and they went back to their hometowns all around, wherever they were from, and they spread that message where they were, and new churches, new communities of Jesus followers were cropping up all over. And so here Paul is like, I got to go to Rome, I'm bringing the gospel. But he gets there and it's, it's, you know, he knows that. And he's actually already written a letter to the believers in Rome. But it's so powerful to see that, man, this gospel is spreading all over the world. It's not, it's not dependent on any one person. But it's dependent upon every person encountering God and then spreading it where, he, where they are. One of our core values or distinctives here is we, we say there's an expectation to influence others. That when we come to encounter God, it's not just for us. But there's an expectation that we will have an orbit of people who are changed. People who are influenced by what God has done in our life. Um, there's, I heard it's been said that we don't want to be a church, and this is true of us, we don't want to be a church with small groups. We want to be a church of small groups. And there's a difference there, because the idea is that we don't want to be a church where it's like, well, you go on Sunday, and that's church, and we kind of you know, hear a message and sing some songs, and then we go back to our life, and then like the professional ministers do their thing on, on Sunday, or you know, whatever they do during the week. We're not sure what that is anyway, but there's, something's going on. They do do something. But no, that Sunday is more like halftime speech. Like this is, the game is every day with everybody playing the game out in the world, on the playing field. 
This is where we come together and we get adjustments, we get a pep talk, we get fired up, but then we go out and play the game. And so, like, we're all called to be parts of small groups and in relationships and in communities where we are living this out with other people. And we are being part of that. And we're bringing other people into that. And, and that's happening. I know one of the things that's been the most encouraging to me was when I first came back from most of my year in Phoenix. And I was, I've been back for like six weeks now, this, this time. And my first or second Sunday here, and it's been you know, like a whole restart for our church and lots of stuff has happened. But we had a, a Sunday where we, we had a Sunday and then we had a, a work day at our ministry house. And I, after our service, we got done pretty early. And I just, it was so noticeable to me that, wow, people are lingering. People are, these, you know, most of you I didn't even know before this year. And, but you all are finding community. And it was just so cool to see people that are, like, finding real relationships and real community. And that this is like, this is my home. This is my family. And I'm, I could just read that. And then we had our work day, and a bunch of people came out and helped out and hung out. And there's a sense of community and family. I'm like, yeah, this is what it's all about. God, you're doing your thing. This is so cool. Because that's, that's what he does. And it happens through each of us receiving hospitality and then extending it to others. Okay. Keep reading here. Um, verse 14. There we found some brothers and sisters who invited us to spend a week with them. And so we came to Rome. The brothers and sisters there had heard that they were coming and they traveled as far as the Forum of Apius and the Three Taverns to meet us. So these, these spots we know were 33 miles from Rome. And so the believers in Rome knew that Paul and Luke and this band were coming and so they made a pretty good trip 33 miles away to this place where they were at, where they were, it was a crossroads, this juncture, and they welcomed them and gathered them yeah, met, met up with them there. At the sight of these people, Paul thanked God and was encouraged. I just think it had to be so encouraging for him. They're like, wow, here I'm coming to this foreign land and I don't know anybody, but here, there's these, I've got believers that are my brothers and sisters and we're in this thing together and they're, they're coming out to meet me and be in this with me. I know, it's just crazy for, for us when we went to Arizona this year, you know, really not knowing what was going to happen, but someone we didn't even know. They're believers, and they just opened up their house to us. And they said, hey, you can stay here as long as you want. We've got this guest house, and you can have full reign of the rest of the house. You be here as long as you need to be here. And they just extended that. And that's, that sort of thing makes all the difference in the world. When they got to Rome, Paul was allowed to live by himself with a soldier to guard him. And we know what's going to happen. With, the with Paul and the soldier. Actually, in Philippians, Paul's writing from Rome a little bit later about his experience. And he says, I want you to know, brothers, he's writing to the church in Philippi, another city, but he says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. So that it's become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. So whoever was assigned to be Paul's guard, and that's, it was the praetorian guard, the imperial guard, that would be maybe even chained to a prisoner, although it seems like Paul had more freedom here. But if you were anywhere near Paul, you were going to be hearing what made him tick. 
you're going to be hearing about Jesus. You're going to be hearing the gospel of the kingdom. And I have to believe that a good number of those guards became believers themselves. I remember after I really became a, a disciple of Jesus in college, and my freshman year, kind of like a lot of you freshmen are experiencing, there was just great stuff that God did. Our church, I was at KU, and our church was just starting, and there was from, from scratch pretty much, and there was this group of, of students, mostly freshmen, that came together. And my, my wife, Reagan, was one of them. Our friend, Laura, was a volleyball player who became a believer, got filled with the Holy Spirit, transformed. And I remember a couple of years later having a conversation with Laura, and she said, you know, what's interesting is that, and we were with a group of people, said, wherever we are, when we get together, just the conversation is going to go to be about God. Like, there's just, it just, it, there's, that's what the reality, like the nature of our life and our community is that it's not this forced thing, like, okay, what do I need to do to do my Christian thing? But as our lives have been transformed, and we're living this out in community, it kind of doesn't matter if it's, two of us and ten other people, but the conversation always goes there because that's the most important thing there is, and that's the most important thing about our life. And it just wells up and spreads. And that's what was happening with Paul, and that's especially in an environment. It's crazy that he was a prisoner, but they let him have his own house. And here, Paul the prisoner leading where he's at. Okay, I'm going to create a hospitable environment here. I'm going to make my own place for people to come in, people to encounter God, people to be blessed. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to serve them. I'm going to feed them food. I'm going to make sure their feet are washed. We're going to help people experience God's goodness. And I'm a prisoner. You know, he's a prisoner, but he's still creating this environment, leading where he's at. And it's, I think that's so powerful that no matter what our circumstances are, you may be like, I live in a dorm room, all right? Man, you haven't seen my apartment. Like, it's not a very hospitable place. But, hey, maybe you can make it a little more hospitable. Or maybe it's not just about the place, but it's the quality of our life. Like, what are we bringing to help people experience the overflow of God's goodness? That they, they taste that and experience that, and it changes their life. Paul was doing that, and we can do that too. Um, it makes, it's, it's, so, it's the thing that changes lives. I, yeah. Um, all right, wrap Coming down on the home stretch here. Back to Acts 28, verse 17. Three days later, he called together the local Jewish leaders. When they had assembled, Paul said to them, I like this that Paul called all the local Jewish leaders. It wasn't just the believers. You think, like, okay, I'm going to get my people, we're going to call the church together, and we're going to come together. But Paul's like, go big or go home. I'm going to call all the Jewish people together. And he always had a sense that he understood the gospel is not just for insiders. It's for outsiders. The good news of Jesus isn't for people who already know. It's for people who don't yet know. And so he's calling together all the Jewish people who have some knowledge of, <coughs> of God. He usually started there everywhere he went. But it was always about looking beyond to those who didn't know God. He, <coughs> he called them together. When they had a symbol, Paul said to them, My brothers, though I've done nothing against our people, or against the customs of our ancestors. I was arrested in Jerusalem and handed over to the Romans. They examined me and wanted to release me because I was not guilty of any crime deserving death. The Jews objected, so I was compelled to make an appeal to Caesar. I certainly did not intend to bring any charge against my own people. For this reason, I have asked to see you and talk with you. It's because of the hope of Israel that I'm bound with this chain. 
I love that here it is. It's always the good news that he's bringing. It's the hope of Israel. I'm a prisoner, but it's because there's a greater hope. God has a hope for your life. God has a purpose for the world. He has a hope for wherever we find ourselves. He is bringing change. And we can hope in him and see his hope come. They replied, We have not received any letter from Judea concerning you, and none of your, our people who have come from there has reported or said anything bad about you. But we want to hear what your views are, for we know that people everywhere are talking against this sect. So this sect, this movement, has spread everywhere. You can't avoid it. And there's a lot of bad press, and it's always controversial. There's always conflict. But a lot of people are being changed at the same time. They arranged to meet Paul on a certain day and came in even larger numbers to the place where he was staying. There it is again. He witnessed to them from morning till evening, explaining about the kingdom of God. And from the law of Moses and from the prophets, he tried to persuade them about Jesus. And like we usually see, some were convinced by what he said. But others would not believe. The gospel calls people to a response. Some believe, some are convinced, others do not. So Paul said to them, or they dis, sorry, verse 25, they disagreed among themselves. The gospel always brings disagreement. There's no, like, there's no middle ground. It's, are we with Jesus or are we not? Am I part of this thing all in or am I halfway? It's, it's black and white. Or it's, you're either believing this and following it, or you're not. And it creates conflict and disagreement. They began to leave after Paul had made this final statement. The Holy Spirit spoke the truth to your ancestors when he said through Isaiah the prophet, Go to this people and say, You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart, remember that word, people's, this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. So the pro- Isaiah, the prophet, had spoken about how this works, and said, man, a lot of people, they always hear, but they don't get it. And he says it's about the heart. The reason people don't believe isn't an intellectual objection so much. I mean, there are intellectual objections, and there are things we've got to address. But it really is a condition of our heart that is the determining factor about whether we will understand and receive the good news about Jesus and believe in him or not. A, a truer statement has never been said than that the mind justifies what the heart has chosen. This is how it works. The mind justifies what the heart has chosen. We get in so many discussions with people about what do you believe about this, what do you believe about that. But we have to understand it really comes down to the heart. The reasons people don't follow Jesus isn't because there's a lack of evidence. It's because I want to do what I want to do. I want to be God in my own life. I want to be the king. I want to rule. I don't want to yield to him. And so we justify what we want. 
And, but when we are, our hearts are open to God and responsive to him, then understanding comes from that place. The mind justifies what the heart has chosen. Therefore, Paul says, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles, and they will listen. And there are a lot of people out there who are going to listen. So you, you got your chance. Keep, do what you're going to do with it, but we're going to keep going out and give this message to everybody. Because there are a lot of people out there that are hungry. Fields are white for harvest. There are a lot of people who are going to listen. After he said this, the Jews left, arguing vigorously among themselves. And we wrap it up. For two whole years, Paul stayed there in his own rented house and welcomed all who came to see him. He proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. Man, what a great thing to be said about us. That we're in our place, we came to know God, we're coming to know Him more, and then we're sharing that good news with others, and that we're doing it with all boldness and without hindrance. And I know that's happening. I, I'm just so excited, really, about the way that the gospel of Jesus is changing our lives. We are coming to experience it more and more in different ways and places where we need it in our own life. We're seeing God's hope, his purpose, his, his, his promise of bringing life come. And it's spreading through us. And it's... It's just exciting to see. It's just good to see. So I'm going to pray for us. And let's just, let's just trust God to keep doing this work wherever we're at. God, thank you, Lord. I just pray for everyone here. Lord, if there's anyone here that hasn't believed in you, or for everyone here who hasn't believed in you and said, you're my king, you're my hope, you're my savior, I'm going to follow you. Well, I pray that they would have the the humility, and the courage to say yes to you. And Lord, I just thank you for the ways that, that your hospitality comes into the world. God, I just thank you that you, you make your home in the world through your people. God, I thank you for the, the ways each of us has, ta- has experienced that to some degree. Lord, I pray for that or there's a need that that would be experienced more and more. Even today, Lord, just that your kindness and goodness would come to our hearts, would fill our hearts, would fill us up. Lord, and as that happens, Lord, out of the overflow of what you, you bring to us, Lord, thank you that you are making us even more places of hospitality, our homes, our relationships, our families, our, our network of, of people we know, work, Lord, that you're bringing your hospitality through us into the world. Lord, may we experience that. Lord, I pray for each person here to experience that and then bring it in powerful ways. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right.